It is that time again, friends. It's the pastor with no answers. I appreciate you listeners. It's just my opinion, but I think there's some fun on the way. There is fun coming to you right now. I hope that you agree. Hey, I want to just say one 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 thing before we even get started. And I think this is the last time I'm ever going to say it. I know you don't have to listen to me. It's just a recommendation. And it's a recommendation not just to pastors, but to anyone who does any sort of public speaking. And I just so happens to be a lot of pastors say this. You've heard me talk about it before. This is the last time you're going to hear me talk about it. And that is this my wife is smoking hot business or see my smoking hot wife over there. Please just don't do that. And and, I, and I, instead of me just saying, please don't do that, I want to offer you some information on why that's just not a good idea. You leave us with three options, my friend. There's only three options. One is we nod our head in agreement. We shake our, we, yeah, yeah, she is hot. You remember on Tommy Boy at the wedding where that guy was intoxicated and he was just like, man, I'd like to get some of that. You want us to like shake our head up and down and be like, man, she's hot. Oh my gosh. I don't think you do. And so that's not an option. The second option is for us just to shake our heads. No, I don't know what you're thinking, man. Your wife isn't that hot. Uh, No, nope, don't agree. Thanks for throwing that out there, but your wife is not hot. I don't think you want that, and we're not going to do that because it's just kind of mean. That leaves us with only one option, and that is just to have a blank stare when you say that. We just look at you, and you just say, I don't know if it makes you feel good. I, I, it, I don't know if your wife even likes it. May that's a good recommendation right there. Just ask your wife, hey, do you like when I call you smoking hot in front of a bunch of people? Is that something that you enjoy? And you know what? Maybe if she says absolutely yes, then that's just something that you two enjoy together and we have to kind of be <laughs> the victims. <laughs> Please stop it. Please stop it. All right, so I have... My wife, who is my best friend, coming on here, and a really good friend of mine, Ellen Morrow. You've heard from her before, and we talk a good bit about Southern culture, just some of the chauvinism that's in it, and honestly, some of the stuff that people would think is chauvinistic, I think can can have a place, can be good. But this this uh, Western uh, Northwestern girl uh, woman, <laughs> Ellen from Liberal Town, Seattle, she definitely has different thoughts on like opening doors for women. And my wife, the Midwestern girl, women, woman, <laughs> she 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 has some different thoughts on opening doors for women too. Bunch of other stuff. I also find out that both of them. I knew my wife, but both of them are rep. Repulsed by the word panties. Both of them are repulsed, but they don't like that word. They don't. I'm curious how many other women out there would feel the same way. So for the main event, shall I say, it is Lisa Salazar. Two days ago, I released an episode that basically discussed transgender people, the Bible, how God made us, and it's basically Preston's uh, Preston Sprinkle's perspective 
in his book called Embodied. I invited my friend Pastor Brian on here, although he's not a transgender person. He is a gay man, and I felt like he would have some great insight, as he did... One of the reasons why I had him on here was because I knew he'd be able to have this sort of discussion and be cordial and not angry. And I know that anger has its place, but that's just not what I wanted for this discussion. However, he's not a transgender person. And that fact bothered me as I was releasing this episode. I was like, I just don't feel good about this. And that is why I asked Lisa to listen to this episode give us some feedback. And so that will be right after this conversation with Ellen, Priscilla, and myself. You guys enjoy and have a good day. Do you feel, Ellen, that you have a, a decent... Do you think you would be in for a culture shock with how women are seen and treated in the South? Like, do you do you ever think about that, or do you know that? Have you been to the South? And I'll and I, I'll give. Go ahead. I lived in Nashville for about a year, and my whole family is from Kentucky, so okay. I feel like I have like I've stuck a toe in. Yeah. <laughs> Where do you live right now? Are you Seattle? I'm in okay. Seattle. Yeah. So I don't know if you remember this or not, but so my mom. Ellen, she plans like a whole week of festivities when my brother comes into town for the holidays. Dinners are planned. Outings are planned. And this may not have had anything to do with anything, but do do you remember, and I was very uncomfortable, she literally, we were all sitting at the table and she literally asked all the girls to get up and clean. Like, do you remember that? That happened this and I got, I was just like, this makes me too uncomfortable. And I got up and I started doing it also. And also at our family gatherings. Like all the girls like Rosa, Gwenny, Emma, Caroline. You and Sarah. I oh, think me it, and it Sarah was like, too? Like, all of y'all. And it may have been because me and dad and Jared did some stuff, but I, I don't think so. And on my mom's side I of the family, have you ever noticed, keep the microphone right there, please. Have you ever noticed on uh, Christmas Eve's, the women are always the ones that clean up? Always. And it's always been that way. Like as long as I can remember when Christmas Eve celebration is over, the women are in the kitchen and the men do not do it. Yeah. But it's not just here. I feel like, I feel like I grew up in Iowa and that was kind of like that too, except my stepdad would always join us and except you always join us. Yeah. So I guess it doesn't offend me as much because my man doesn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. 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 My, uh, when I married, into my husband's family, I was so shocked and excited because every single meal. Okay. So Cole's mom uh, is a great cook and always makes the food right without fail. And now I've been married for nine, almost 10 years to this guy without fail. Every single meal we've had with them. um, As soon as we're done eating both brothers, well, there's three boys, all three brothers and the dad, Get up, take all the dishes, and spend time before we even touch dessert. They spend time in the kitchen cleaning everything and drying everything, putting it away. Wow! I'm she trained them. She's like, I, I cook I, for you, you clean up. I, don't I feel even like know. that's kind of our rule. What we do. I don't think she ever set that precedent, though. I think it was her husband that showed his sons how to do that early on. Really? That's mm-hmm. awesome. I know. How was it in your family? My mom did everything. 
from start yeah. to finish. Cooking, cleaning, everything. Nobody wow. offered to help. Really? Gee. Yeah. See, mm-hmm. I didn't grow up that way. My mom and my stepdad were like team. Yeah. Like they just teamed everything. Let me ask y'all this. And I, I promise I'm, uh, we're, we're going to have you guys on for the next few episodes. And I'm not going to ask just a bunch of female things. Y'all, y'all can speak on a lot more things than just being a woman. <laughs> Thanks, but Joey. I, yeah, for sure. <laughs> now, I wanted to make sure you guys knew that. Thanks. <laughs> How do y'all feel about this? So it's obvious that... So I, I, I sometimes have more of a struggle with my boys. They can get on my nerves quicker than my girls can. You're kind of the same way with the girls as opposed to the boys. But I noticed something. If it is ever raining outside and it's the boys' chore to go take the recycling out or the trash can out, get your ass out there and put the trash can out. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you're right. If it's Rosa or Gwenny, I will not make them do it because it feels like a Southern gentleman sort of thing. Is that bad? Yes. Why It annoys me that you do that. Why? Because... Do they have to have a, like, what, what? When they are single and living on their own, they have to go take the trash out when it's yeah, raining. But what's wrong, what's wrong with some Southern gentlemanness? Is it sending a bad message? What do you think? That's tricky because when Cole and I got married, we had decided like, okay, I'll, I'll do all the cooking or no, I think I said maybe like, I'll do all the laundry, which that did not pan out. And <laughs> you, you take out the trash. You're like the trash guy. And, but that is something we decided on. And I feel like I've actually never thought about this until now. I feel like when you have boy and girl children, they don't get to decide on that. So you're choosing, you're picking and choosing who gets which responsibilities, which is very confusing. And I do think it kind of, um, What's the word? It kind of furthers that idea that women shouldn't or not that not that you think that they can't. um, But like, oh, you're too delicate to take out the trash. You shouldn't have to take out the trash because you're a girl. I I mean, y'all are kind of right. But so let me let me throw this back at you. you, Would you refuse to have your husband open the door for you? No, I, well, honestly, I hate that. I would make it would make me feel so uncomfortable if Cole was always opening doors for me. Yeah, I I agree. So because I'm in Iowa, we didn't do that. So, Men did not open doors for women in Iowa. People opened doors for each other. Exactly. Happened you. to be who came to the door first. My grandpa would admonish me. I would take my girlfriends over there to visit my grandparents, and he would come outside. Every single time, and then it, and when when I was married to Priscilla, did the same thing, and he would make sure that I went to her side first, unlock the door, open the door, let her get in, shut the door, and if I didn't do that, he would give me hell for it. Yeah, we and all, you know so what? We, that I was just gonna say that's all nice. Like women for <laughs> centuries, nice. for centuries, and thank you for all the door opening. But we needed like voting rights. And, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like pick and choose. What's more important, I guess. Right, but you have that all, and so now I just want to treat you a little special. <laughs> I want to. I if still you know, open you it sometimes. <laughs> if you want to do it, Joey, that's great. But if it's not prom, and nobody need, if we, <laughs> if if we're standing out in the rain with, and our hands are not full, we're we can open our own door. 
It's sometimes okay. more annoying to have someone in the way opening your door. I, I totally agree. All it right, happened I'll- to me today. I just want to say I was at school today and I was walking around with someone and there was a student behind us and it was like a person. We were talking about some work thing. And then I, I was in front of him. So I was open the door and he grabs it. He's like, no. And I was just like, Stop. You're just making it all yeah. awkward. All right, like, so, I was just going to open the door. So I'm going to challenge you. Like he you. couldn't go through it before me. I'm going to challenge you and I and I you're going to have to lie or you're going to have to humble yourself right now. <laughs> if Stop we, pointing at me. <laughs> if we're both walking out of Target and we don't have umbrellas or rain jackets and it's pouring down rain, what would you do if I said, hey, you go get the car this time? You would not like that. <laughs> And you damn know well. <laughs> that's a really that's good. That is a good one. That was a good one. So what 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 is it? Take your pick. Why yeah, but why am I, I the go one? To the rain. I think I have gotten the car for us in the rain before. I don't think one that's out never of happened. <laughs> because so of your grandpa. The, here's oh the problem that I think it creates is it creates this idea that these little girls that grow up to be women that expect that shit. I agree. This is why I don't want you doing that to the girls. Because you know what? Do you know what? I, I hate using. Yeah, I don't use though. their names. Okay, so one of our girls is <laughs> now. Her name's Ra. Her name's Ra. <laughs> I'm just saying her name, Rosa, and she's tough. She's probably our toughest kid. She's super tough. She totally manipulates you. Oh, Danny, we come outside. It's dark out. She's 14, and it's five steps away. Just go take it outside. <laughs> and I'll tell her and she'll be like, daddy. And you'll be all, and you just get up and go do it. I just want to, like, I really me. want to whatever. She has all, it right. Wrapped. all right, cool. Well, I guess you guys are hating on Southern culture. I will say this though. And <laughs> <You're> I'll, I'll, <laughs> <laughs> listen, listen to this. I, there's something. Okay. I agree with so much that y'all are saying, but I will say that I have seen couples that have been married for 50 years and whether it's right or wrong, they've been doing it this way for 50 years. Like he is, he is very kind and generous to his wife. She is very kind and generous to him, but they're kind and generous in different ways. And the wife does take his dish and take it into the kitchen. And then if yeah, there's something... Yeah, because they were if, dating, they got together 60 years ago when right, that but, was like a thing. And yeah, but they what went, I'm saying, but what I'm saying <laughs> is it's health, like for them, it's healthy, it's beautiful. It is not abusive and they love each other, and neither one oh. of them is taking advantage of each other, and it's just Southern culture. I see what you're saying. We shouldn't revoke it from those old folks that are doing it. Right. Don't take down <laughs> well, the monuments about that. To, we just don't need oh. to perpetuate it. Right. Right. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I'm not opening doors They're for happy. you anymore. You next time, next time it you. rains, get your ass if out to you the car. If you get to the door before me, open the door because you're polite. Next time we if hear I a scary noise first. downstairs, you go down and check it. Oh, oh you still go. This is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys do? Do you hear scary noises and go with a bat? Okay. I always go downstairs because I'm not this scared. This is such a big thing for me in my marriage. Okay. My <laughs> husband feels like... He should be the one that sleeps next to the door in the bed. Like his side of the bed, should, no matter where we move, Cole's his a good side guy. of the bed is the closest to the. Ex, yeah, Joey. Cole's sounds like that, doesn't it? Except for you cannot wake the man up. <laughs> <laughs> so there are so many times where I've heard something and I'm like, Cole, Cole, just. 
corpse. He's a corpse. <laughs> so by the time, you know, the burglar comes and gets to me, it's too late. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got to get to our guests here in a second, but I'll, I'll, I'll close with this story. Ellen, when we were first married, we were in our first house and we kept a gun in the house. We kept bullets in the house. And I went through that. I tough, did not know that. Right. I went through that tough season in 2019. And that gun is now in Tennessee, where your parents are in Georgia, in Georgia. So no gun in the house right now. I want it back, though, because I do think that, you know, I, well, just, I, just, I just pissed off all the, <laughs> the liberals. But she so I hear across the street, I hear screaming, blood curdling screaming. I hear a dude yelling. And it was just I mean, I, I'm still a youngin, man. I'm twenty five years old. It's definitely scaring me. I'm like, I don't know what's going on in our neighborhood right now, but I'm going to load that gun. And Priscilla wakes up to me. Loading, loading a gun, a gun <laughs> that I didn't know we owned. That's and I was terrifying. like, What you didn't know we owned it? Oh, I was I like, What are you that. doing? What are you doing? That. And you're I like, I was so like, where'd scary. that come from? Does it does it uh, offend you that I want to have a gun in the house? No, Pro- no I think okay it's right too because I, I don't think you're a, like a raging political maniac. Um, I think it's fine for self protection. I totally. I mean, I do think that it escalates situations when you have when one is like in the area. It makes me feel very, very, very unsafe to just know that there is one nearby. Doesn't That's matter. How I feel. How much it's locked or whatever. Just the idea that there's like an explosive device. Yeah. Don't love it. All right. One more woman question. (laughs) You're such a (laughs) dick. All right. Listen, why is it okay for my girls to leave their rooms to go to the beach with bathing suits on? Here it is. But it's weird as hell for them to have underwear on. I don't care. I don't want to see them in their underwear. I don't care if I never see them in the bathing Here's suits. Here's why, Joey, What's the because difference? you guys have all sexualized our underwear. Yes, I totally agree. Really? Yeah. End I just an- got educated. End of answer. I just got educated. Thank yeah. y'all. It shouldn't be a big deal. I mean, on that topic, I probably shouldn't keep talking about it, but I just want to say that I cannot stand the word panties. I don't know why you say that. Priscilla, you and I. We're the same. That is the worst word maybe in the English language. No, it's not the worst. The worst is moist. Say it. Oh, shit. (laughs) I hate that word. Moist shit. (laughs) Okay, I'm just going to talk now because you guys are being toddlers. Um, I had to tell my mother-in-law to stop calling my toddlers underwear panties. (laughs) I don't like it either. It's so yucky. It is so underwear. Like porn stars wear panties. Yeah. Victoria's oh, Secret, man. they have a sale on panties. My three-year-old daughter, who I love and respect, does not wear panties. No, neither do mine. And my girls don't say it either. All right. Well, our up, our guest coming up right now wrote a book on just panties. The, 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 yeah, the, <laughs> the, the cultural shift and not using the word p- panties anymore. Is it panties or panties? Well, That's the I, worst. They're both they're both wrong and bad. <laughs> Thank you 
so much uh, for being here with us. And I, I tracked you down because you, you got to talk to the infamous uh, Rachel Held Evans back in, to, I guess, 2012. If you guys were, were friends, definitely. I know that's still fresh. Um, I was able to talk to her a couple of times on, on Bad Christian Podcast, but never developed like a, a relationship. So definitely, definitely sorry for your loss. But, but yeah, but thank you so much. So let, let me ask you that. If you were to run into this podcast episode and, and you see a title and it's basically you're like, oh, transgender. Uh, okay. And you read about it and then you, you hear about the book that we're talking about and, and you, you see someone that, you know, you know, Brandon Robertson, and you know, he is in the LGBTQ community, but we don't have anyone that's a transgender person. Like, is that super off-putting? Is it offensive? Is it a bad move? Well, let me, uh, let me begin by saying that, um, it's true that, um, Trans lives are being discussed today more than ever. Yeah. But very few conversations include trans people. Yeah. So it's cis people, people who are not trans, that's what cisgender means, um, are the ones that are talking and theorizing and espousing ideas and whether it's theology, psychology, whatever, uh, and kind of leaving the trans person out. And um, so I um, thank you for inviting me, by the way, to... To listen to the podcast, you sent me a, a link so I could listen to the conversation that you had with Preston and with Brandon, and um, and I I, appreci- I appreciated the honesty of the three of you to say yeah, yeah and and you talked about how uncomfortable you felt putting this out without and you were kicking yourself for not having included a trans person in the conversation right and I appreciated that even if it's after the fact right in uh, <laughs> an afterthought. But that's important, uh, and that's self-awareness. I, I, it means a lot to me when people are willing to, to be honest uh, with that appraisal. In response to, to the podcast and what I heard you guys say, and when you said, gee, we should have a trans person here, my first thought was, no, you should have 100 trans people because everybody's story is going to be so different. Yeah, my yeah. story, and I, I speak to you from a position of, privilege in many on many levels number one my skin is not dark number two uh even at my age people don't clock me in other words i get i get the pass i can get on a on transit i can get on 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 the subway i can get on the bus and i don't feel that people are staring at me people just assume i'm a middle-aged woman and uh um I'm not being checked out by men and all, and none of that stuff is happening to me. I can navigate pretty stealthily in Vancouver yep. and actually anywhere in the United States. I've traveled to conferences. I've gotten on airplanes. I've gone through uh, security checks and all that kind of stuff. My identification matches my gender identity, my name and all that kind of stuff. So I have that privilege that not every trans person enjoys. Sure. Yeah. Um, even if they've gone through legal name change and all that, and gender change under identification, they, their, how people perceive them may still be a liability. And then, on top of that, in the trans community, uh, and and more and more people are identifying as non-binary, um, and uh, and for them, uh, the challenges are different from the challenges that I experience. 
um, sadly, and um, and I'd like I wish there was more research out there to kind of confirm my uh, what I perceive, and that is in, from my conversations with many non-binary persons, and a little bit of from research, some research that I did is that non-binary persons. Um, are really singled out in a different kind of way from people who are trans binary, by meaning that I'm a trans woman and I'm a feminine trans woman. And there are trans guys who are masculine trans guys, but non-binary persons may be more fluid in how they present. They may be more androgynous. Uh, they may, uh, how they present from day to day might shift a little bit because that's for them that they feel totally comfortable uh, doing that. They're, by be declaring that they're non-binary, they're saying, I'm not buying into the binary system that demands that I need to look in a certain way for you to accept me as, as, a, as a person. Yeah. And so I'm going to present in the way that feels most genuine and authentic for me. Yeah. So their, their experiences and their challenges are completely different from mine. And sadly, in the Western culture, even in Vancouver, a progressive, safe city, there is still the binary uh, imposition of how people are perceived and the boxes that people are placed in. So if you don't fit inside a box, that people are really uncomfortable with yeah. you. I don't want to presume that I speak for the whole trans community. Sure. Yeah. Because, again, because again, my experience is my experience. Right. And that's that's the sort of thing that I appreciate your patience and graciousness, because I I'm probably going to need to be reminded of that a few other times before it sinks in. You know, it's like I have this mentality of, oh, well, let's let's get a perspective of a transgender person. That'll cover it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, and uh, it's it's just so it's just so easy to fall into that. How? So when you listen to this conversation, like how, how do you process, like you, you heard me state very clearly that I feel strongly that both Preston and Brandon are, are very loving men that at the end of the day, want what's best for people. Is that, is that a troublesome thing for you to hear me say in regards to Preston's posture. Well, you use the word troublesome. Um, not so much troublesome, but listening to him. Yeah, and I haven't, yeah. I, I haven't read the book, so sure, sure. Uh, so I can only go by what I heard in the podcast. And I heard him talk about uh, some theories and some concepts that are just um, not at all popular in the trans community. He talked about autogenophilia. He talked about um, um, a body this more, uh, what, a gender um, integrity, identity. Um, it's, uh, anyway, people who, who feel that uh, they don't need all their, both arms, that, that they, they would like to have one arm amputated, a right. perfectly healthy arm or a perfectly healthy leg, and that, that for them, that's their goal. And, and that's how they identify. So you, you bring up these things. He brings up, and if his, and if it, in his book, he's even given any oxygen to any of those things. I think, why even bring that stuff up? To begin with, uh, people who do struggle with their body identity, who wish to have a part amputated, 
I mean, the statistics, if you take the time to look at it, it's like nobody knows for sure, but they think it could be as infinitesimal as one in a hundred thousand people globally. Uh, the the um, European Union uh, designates a rare disease if it impa impacts five out of 10,000 people. That's a rare disease. So say one out of 100,000 is rare upon rare upon rare. Right. So to bring that up into the discussion about people who don't feel at home in their body because they're trans is, is a false equivalency. Why even bring that up? If he claims to be such a learned person who's teaching others about pastoral care, this is, this is uh, it's just a distraction to bring that up and, and to then use that argument to say, that's why we need to be careful with trans people because you wouldn't want, uh, because they're going to be uh, mutilating a healthy body. And a lot of people hold that view, you know, uh, that trans people are mutilating he perfectly healthy bodies. Um, and that really creates a very simplistic um, argument that that um, that is not just not supported by by uh, by real life uh, lived experience of trans people and or the statistics out there. So, uh, what? How many people are we talking about? So, the Williams Institute out of UCLA estimates that in the U.S. adult population, that 0.6% of the adult population is trans. So that's about 1.4 million Americans are trans. Canada has, for, for simple math, Canada has 10% of the U.S. population. So we could uh, extrapolate that and say that Canada has one-tenth the number, so 140,000 trans people. And behold, British Columbia has 10% of the, of the Canadian population. So we basically are 1% of the U.S. population. Um, and so 14,000 people in the Vancouver area uh, or in British Columbia um, could be trans. Yeah. Um, for younger people, the Williams Institute estimates that that number may, may, may be higher. It could be 1%. So we're talking at most 1% of the population is transgender. And look at how much vitriol and how much anger and how much uh, denouncement exists in the church and the Christian right in politics and all that towards 1% of the population claiming that this will destroy the family, that this will destroy society. Give me a break. 1% of the population is going to disrupt 99%. Right. Gosh. That, that's, I, yeah. That's, it's ridiculous. So, yeah. so when I hear pot, when I hear these kinds of discussions, here's another book about transgender issues and what the Bible has to say. Well, I'm sorry. Uh, I have a problem anytime you see, uh, what's Preston's uh, title? Um, do, you, do you know? The book? The book? Yeah. Uh, embodied. Embodied, but then what is the subtitle? Um, I can look it up in real time here. Transgender Identities, the Church, and What the Bible Has to Say. Yeah, there it is, right there. What a presumptuous title. What the Bible has to say as if it's the authoritative uh interpretation of what the Bible has to say on what it means to be transgender. And, and that, when I saw that, that that was the title of the book, I thought, that's a book I will never buy because of that uh, ridiculous declaration, what the Bible has to say about transgender. It, it would have been more honest to say, and, and some thoughts from the Bible, or, but not what the Bible has to say. It makes it sound like this is, this is it. This is 
declarative statement. This is the only way you can possibly interpret this yeah. or yeah. think about trans people. Yeah. So, so I have a problem with that, with that attitude, with that is coming from a cis person. Even if the cis person says, yeah, we should include trans people in this conversation. Well, I don't think too many trans people are going to have, want to join in the conversation when that's the premise. Yeah. And, you know, and that, I, oh, I'm sorry. You know, that, so anyway, the, so that was my reaction. Yeah, no, I understand that. Do, uh, so, do you uh, and and we just we just we just go for it on this podcast. Do you have that reaction and feel some bitterness towards Preston, even though I, I know you don't know him, or have you gotten to a point where you can just kind of balance that tension of recognizing, you know, what people see things differently, or or it or does that build some anger or irritation? No, not anger and irritation, but impatience. Okay, um, is it would be a more accurate word. Um, yeah, and Preston uh, and Preston he um, he mentioned something. Well, well, I'll put it this way: there are. I, I was I was telling you before we hit record of of how you know when you when you sit across from someone who is a Christian and kind of similar journeys you and I have had similar upbringings there's there, there's just that common ground that you feel that you don't even have to to describe or label and and I I, I felt that with you like I I don't I don't know you but you just you just kind of have that common ground there are there are people gay people transgender people is that politically correct to say transgender people am i, I okay that that do not feel that it is okay and still feel like it is not god's will and and push that away like how how do you because because preston made a uh, you know i i think a, a a decent point that even brandon was open to and he said there's a lot of people that are in evangelical uh cultures or 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 just um more traditional that aren't going to listen to someone like brandon who is completely affirming because that's not where they're at and so and and brandon even um uh, I, I wouldn't say applauded, but definitely recognized that yeah, no, Preston I, I, is trying to bring yeah. some help into the conversation yeah. and some more and, understanding. And yes, yes, and there are a lot of uh, a lot of believers who uh, will just not even uh, entertain a conversation, even a polite conversation with with a trans person. You know, they would not speak to me because to me, I'm a heretic. I have. Right. It's totally gone against uh, what they uh, read in the Bible that God created was male and female. And um, prior to you hit and record, I shared a little bit about uh, how I, um, th the fact is that I came, became a Christian during the Jesus People Movement. And my primary motivation or why I was so right for the picking, as it were, is because I was so conflicted and I heard so many glorious, amazing, wonderful things that Jesus said, you know, it's like, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. What an invitation that was. I just thought, that's me. I'm weary and I'm heavy laden. I have this burden that I, 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 I hate myself. I, I hate, I have all these thoughts and I want this to go away. Yes, Jesus, please heal me. And it was, that was my primary motivation. And so I developed a very um, rigid 
understanding of human sexuality based on everything that I was reading was very fundamentalistic, you know, um, um, Hal Lindsey's books, uh, Jim Dobson's books. Oh God, everything I was reading was about how to be a biblical, a biblical man and, and how to renounce Satan and, and, and all that kind of stuff. It was, and this is a spiritual battle and we need to fight this with, with the sword of God. So memorize scripture and learn. Lisa, would James Dobson be a little upset with you right now? Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, so all that. And, and that was me because, uh, I didn't want whatever it was, this was, and this, I didn't have the word transgender that didn't become available until I was 40 years old. That's when the word first came into use. So a lot of people who today, um, in this conversation, don't realize that this is really a new conversation. We're talking about 1990. That's when the word transgender really came into into pub, in the public domain, and people began to then understand what transgender might be about. Um, and and it and the word transgender and, and its meaning has evolved in in in, in these years and has expanded to include those. And and because the conversation started. And, and people began to join the conversation, story, began to share their stories and their challenges and their fears and their worries and all that kind of stuff. It, it, it is a new conversation that grew and grew and grew, and, and the language was refined like in every – I mean, that's the beauty of language, right? It's, it's, not, it's not fixed in stone. It continues to morph, and, and, and the meanings be, expand or kind of uh, shift a little bit and say, no, it's not that. It's more like this. Anyway, so it makes sense that we're now in, at a point where, uh, because we've opened people to have this conversation who, uh, who identify as trans and begin to identify as, well, uh, what is. So I don't feel really comfortable in my body, and I don't really feel like a man. I've never felt that way. And it has... And, Language is really inadequate to talk about this thing. I use the word feel, and is that really the best word? Because that, a lot of people will say, well, you shouldn't go on your feelings alone, right? And, and there's got, we need more than just what you, your emotions and your feelings tell you. But, but I think it's deeper than that. It, it is deeper than that. And every trans person that I've met, um, you know, if we're really honest with each other and with ourselves, we'll say, um, I'd rather not have this. I'd rather not be trans. Yeah. Uh, the same thing for gay people. You know, it's it, it's just who would choose? And people label it a lifestyle as if it's a lifestyle choice. Like I'm going to decide. I think I need to be frilly and I need to be a fan. No, it doesn't work like that at all. It's it, you know I try to to purge these feelings to get rid of them to add, to be healed from them. And they just would not go away. It was persistent and resistant. And, and, uh, and, and the more I try to suppress and repress these thoughts, uh, the more volatile it became. And I came to a point um, in my 50s where I really began to fear I was going to have a mental breakdown and that I might do something really stupid. And by the time anyone is 50, you've met people, you've known friends, people who've committed suicide. You've heard of stories of failed suicides and how people are left damaged, uh, brain damaged or quadriplegics or in a vegetative state. So um, 
I was cognizant of all these kinds of things. And so, you know, um, by the grace of God, he kept me of sound mind so that I would think about these things and not do anything stupid. And it, that I didn't do anything has nothing to do with me um, being a, a great person, but just not wanting to fail. If I'm going to kill myself, let's make it not be traumatic on the people who find me. Let's make it be quick and not painful and make sure it succeeds. And so what can I do? And, um, and so I was negotiating with God. My conversations often with God would be, oh, God, I can't take this anymore. You're the creative one. Do something. Um, I'm a jogger. The next time I'm running to the park, have a big branch land on me and kill me instantly. So it's an act of God. Can we, can we do it like that? So that way it wasn't that the name I went by was Jim, uh, my given name in Spanish, because I'm from Colombia, Santiago, which means Jim. So yeah. uh, my friends knew me as Jim. And, and I was negotiating with God so, so that people won't need to know that, that I had this struggle and, and uh, it's just an unfortunate thing that happened. A branch fell on Jim's head and killed him, broke his neck. Wouldn't that be, God, can't you do that? Can't you do it like that, simple like that? So that way nobody's traumatized. My family's not traumatized and nobody finds out. Nope. So I, that's where my head was at uh, before I, uh, um, when I was in my 50s, you know, and just worried that I might do something, something rash drive my car into a bridge pylon or something and um just tell me yeah tell tell me and and let i, I want to I, I think this is a perfect because it was just so powerful what you were sharing and i want to kind of conclude things here like tell people the moment where you felt basically freed by by god the same the same god that i serve where it just hit you like a ton of bricks in a very, very peaceful way yeah. where you felt free. Yeah. And what happened was that here I am in my fifties, uh, attending a church that was great, really alive. I was part of the worship team. I often led the worship. Um, I played the guitar and we sang, boy, we sang a lot of vineyard songs, a lot of uh, uh, Maranatha music a lot of contemporary as well as traditional hymns. Yeah. And it was just really great. Uh, and we got a new pastor because our, our pastor had been promoted by the nomination to work out of their headquarters. And so we searched for about a year and the pastor that we got was a guy that was about, uh, uh, about my age and just really a likable person. And his very first sermon, he hauled up his Bible and, um, and he said, you know, a lot of people claim that this book has all the answers to life and that everything we need to know is here. He said, well, I'm not one of those persons. I can't make that claim, not in good conscience, because as a student, as a, uh, someone who's been a student of the Bible for 25 years, I've learned that when I open this book, I need to open it with humility and to allow God, to the Spirit of God to speak to me. Um, because the more I read this book, the more I see how even my understanding of a particular passage has, uh, has morphed, has changed a little bit, or is very different from when I first read this passage. And so I need, so there's not, you know, it's really dangerous to, to claim that there are absolutes 
that this book is full of rules that never change because that's the way someone interprets it because somebody else might read the same the same thing and come to a very different conclusion and that's what's happened over the centuries and he said so you'll never get, hear me give you black and white answers out of this book instead we're going to have a conversation a dialogue that's what theology is about god and what we and uh and allow this book to to stimulate our conversations and i that was so refreshing and as i sat there when he gave a warning he said and it's really dangerous to to take a verse or phrase out of context and then develop a doctrine and a teaching that you're going to drive into people's minds as this is the only way to do this or this is this is what god says and um and he said it's really dangerous to do that and as i'm sitting in the pew i'm I, this was like water to my soul whatever what he was saying it was so refreshing because i came from from a self-imposed strict fundamentalist evangelical theology that had helped me stay in the straight and narrow and not do something stupid and right. not to you know, and I felt guilty whenever I thought I had thoughts about wanting to cross-dress or to express femininity and all that. I, no, this is wrong. That's a sin. God created this male and female. And that was the phrase I took out of context. God created this male and female. And I used it like the hammer, the mallet in the whack-a-mole game. Whenever I had any thoughts or ideas or confusion, I would say, get behind me, Satan. God created this male and female. Smash. Right. And... And so I'm sitting there in the pew to, to answer your question. Did I ever have an aha moment? It wasn't all at once. That was the beginning of my aha moment. Yeah. That I, yes, that I was relying on a, on a phrase um, with which to try to fight a battle. And I wanted, and so the, the, the warning was to take, take it out of context. So I wanted to read it in context. I knew it was in the book of Genesis, but I also knew that it was in one of the Gospels. I was, couldn't exactly remember where. In my Bible, the concordance pointed me to Matthew 19. So I read that uh, what Jesus says um, it, when he quotes from Genesis, it's when he's answering the Pharisees about his views on divorce and remarriage. And, um, and it's in that conversation that he ends that that scene in Matt, that Matthew records ends with Jesus making a, a declaration that um, I had never really stopped to consider it. Yeah. But in that moment, it just jumped out at me. And that's when he talks about eunuchs. So he, he's talking to his disciples about, about uh, marriage and, and, uh, and the Pharisees about marriage and divorce. Um, and then he says, without any warning at all, he says, not everyone is going to be able to receive what I'm about to say, only those to whom the knowledge has been given. Some people are born eunuchs from their mother's womb, others are born eunuch, others are made eunuch by men, and some choose to become eunuchs for the kingdom of God. If you can accept this, go, go with it. So I'm paraphrasing, I don't have the Bible in front of me. Yeah. Uh, but that's basically it. Not everyone will be able to get this, but if you get it, go with it. And that and that sort of revelation, if I were in your shoes and I'm not, and I don't have any clue what that feels like, but it sounds like that sort of revelation also opens the door for you to have a little bit of an easier time with people that would not 
affirm you or it would, would that be a fair thing to say? Absolutely. Most Christians and most evangelical Christians would immediately agree with the statement that Jesus is God incarnate, that Jesus is every bit as God as God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And, um, and that's a very, very, um, um, uh, I mean, that goes from, I think most even fundamental Christians would say that that's, they agree with that statement. Right. That Jesus was there from the beginning of, uh, of creation, and he's eternal, and he is one with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Now, think of this. Here we have Jesus, or God, incarnate God, saying, in the beginning, God created male and female, but it doesn't always happen that way because some people are born either male or female. Can you accept that as, a, as an evangelical Christian, that here is Jesus making that declaration? Right. That it's not, the, it's not strictly male or female, that there are some people who are born neither male or female or a bit of both. And in the Midrash, even the Jewish, the Hebrews, uh, the, the Jewish rabbis, uh, and, and one of them, uh, there's some Midrash that, a lot, that basically says that from their perspective, there are five sexes or genders, that there are the men, there are the women, and there are those, uh, um, and, then, and then there are those who are in the middle who are both or not quite, uh, you know, yeah, a combination of the two, but then there's two, uh, two other grades, you know, that there's this um, masculine, women, feminine men, and, and they were okay with that. They, they, they made an allowance for that reality. So it wasn't fixed always a binary male and female. So, and I think that is relevant to our conversation. It's almost like this is a time capsule for us who now have the science and the understanding uh, of uh, human sexuality to be more, well, to be less worried about it. A few years ago, the New York Times uh, invited trans people to share 200, up to 250 words about their experience. And it was trans lives. that You can Google it, just New York Times trans lives. And there are literally hundreds of little vignettes that uh, uh, trans people have shared. And um, it's very moving to read some of these. And so I wrote, the editor said, are you, are you allowing Canadians to participate? And he said, we're allowing anybody anywhere in the world who wants to share uh, a little vignette about, about their life. And so, uh, can I read what I wrote? It's, yeah, uh, please, please. Okay. <laughs> okay, this is really a senior moment. Here I am looking for my reading glasses and I have them on. <laughs> I just if you would have only asked me where your glasses were, I could have actually told you. <laughs> yeah, we're on Zoom. So, oh God, this is too much. I came to terms with what seems like a paradox and contradiction, if not absurd chaos. Fairly late in life when I realized the identity, identity I had constructed for myself um, had to be tossed out and I needed to start over. I was 58 when I began life as Lisa. Most people don't have a clue what it means, what goes on inside the head of someone who is gender dysphoric. The questioning and the persistent sense that something is wrong and that the gender they identify is not quite aligned with their body. The contradictory aspect of all this is the um, is the absolute sense. Uh, sorry, 
the contradictory aspect of all this is the absolute sense I always had from the first memories of this chaos until today that I am deeply loved and cherished by God. However, this sense of being loved did not stop me from asking the most basic of questions in the human repertoire. Why this and why me? From childhood, I did not, I did, from childhood, I did the only thing that seemed most logical. But this, of course, was a subjective interpretation. It was using a logic rooted on the social constructs around me, my family, my circle of friends, and the larger social and cultural environments I existed in. My logic was based on what others said. This defined me. But inside me, there's a raging conversation going on, a debate of sorts, and at times a screaming match that, uh, that lacked words. Without a vocabulary, it meant that this condition, in quotes, or whatever it was called, would have to be kept gagged and shackled. How does, how does one cope or deal with this kind of absurdity? When others are making plans for their future and dreaming of golden time in their lives, I was ensuring the chains and locks around this unknown force were holding tight. I grew up envying others who were free to be themselves. I was like a spectator of someone else's life from behind a chain link fence and not part of the action. So what does this all have to do with my uh, understanding of life? And especially now that I'm a chaplain and working in, uh, in, a, uh, in a hospital. Well, this is what impels me to want to help others find words, find their voice and the language that will help them begin to make sense of their own chaos. I realize that we all have this burning need to flesh out who we are with words that ring true, even if those words are frightening and strange at first before they become marvelous. So that's sort of where I'm at. You know. That's beautiful.